when I graduated, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. I had I, I, I didn't know how to do anything. Still, I have a degree. I can twirl a baton. I can strut down a runway. I can ride a unicycle, but I don't think that's going to pay the bills. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Marsha Dahl, one of the most recognizable and sought-after personalities in Tallahassee and throughout the modeling world. The Perry native started her modeling career on a trip to Atlanta as a buyer for her grandfather's clothing store at age 14. She would go on to work at influential modeling agencies throughout Florida before launching the iconic Marsha Dahl models in 1990. She has mentored thousands of aspiring women and men, many of whom have landed on billboards in Times Square and on runways and magazine covers around the world. Marsha's entrepreneurial spirit was revealed at age five when she started going door-to-door selling boiled peanuts, candy, and even turtles from a nearby creek. As an adult, she says she got every job she ever interviewed for, with some of the more interesting being in orthodontia and working on the tarmac at the Tallahassee airport. Her work on television includes roles on Miami Vice, and most recently, TLC's Welcome to Plathville. Marsha is a two-time cancer survivor, mother, and has married her husband Dean six times. Her energy and love of life are contagious, and she is grateful for the many opportunities she has had to follow her dreams and the life those dreams, along with a lot of hard work, have provided. We started our conversation with how she would describe herself today. Love people. I find uh, meeting new people all the time uh, is what fuels me. I'm very curious. I love different things. I don't like doing the same thing over or being in the same environment over and over. I just enjoy life. I love people. I have tons of energy. That's what everybody says. If we could just bottle you up, Marsha Dahl, we could make some kind of money. And I, I agree with that. I've just got to figure it out. All right. So you were born and grew up in Perry, right? Is that Big correct? Big city of Perry, Florida. Perry, that Florida. is correct. All right. And I read that your grandfather was from Lithuania right? right and came to Perry in 1925. That's correct. So how in the world... Did a guy from Lithuania end up in Perry, Florida? Uh, a Jewish man from Perry, okay. Florida. <laughs> Jewish <laughs> or from man. from Lithuania. Right. From Lithuania, right. So my grandfather and his brother came from Lithuania. They were around 17, we think, when they came into the U.S. They crossed the borders and went all through Europe and uh, had some really hard times trying to get out of Europe and got into Ellis Island and to New York City. We obviously had some relatives in New York City where they hooked up with them and were able to stay with them. I still to this day don't know the names and we've tried to do a little research, but they ended up in New York City. And from New York City, it was, uh, they had been through so much in Lithuania, especially with the cold weather. 
um, that they made their way somehow to Savannah, Georgia. From New York City, don't know exactly how, but they, and Savannah's a big Jewish population as well. And they made it to Savannah, and in Savannah, they met my grandmother. It's it's kind of a a twist here. My grandfather was really my step-grandfather and my great-uncle. Okay. Okay. My grandmother married a man named Morris Glickman. That was my real grandfather. Right. He passed away. She married his brother. Okay. And that's the one I grew up with. Okay. Okay. So anyway, made it to Savannah and uh, found out that they were hustling. I don't. We don't know exactly what they did. Uh, they're all buried at the Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah, and we go there. But we've been trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and one day we'll figure it out. But ended up in Savannah. Found a store for sale, a retail store in Perry, Florida. They went down there. They saw it. They bought it. And then opened another one uh, 20 miles away in Mayo, Florida. From Mayo, yeah. And it started as like a dime store. And uh, we have been in the same building on Jefferson Street across from the courthouse in downtown Perry since 1925. So that's 96 years wow. that we've been there. And, and what's, the, what's the name of the store? The Fair Store. Okay. F-A-I-R. Uh-huh. The Fair Store. Yep. So it was a clothing store? It was a clothing store. It started out as a dime store with some clothes, um, a department store, an old-timey okay. department store. And it's evolved through the years, of course. Since 1925, we had everything from lingerie to women's shoes to men's suits. Uh, and then through the years, my mother, you know, through the 70s and 80s, my mom passed away in the 90s. And it became more of a work store, like Red Wing, Carhartt, um, tennis shoes, Levi's, uh, welding shirts. So it kind of matched the population. Absolutely. You know, it transitioned. And people, the malls opened in the 70s here in Tallahassee, and the women were coming up here to buy the ladies' clothes. But that's how I got in the modeling industry. And that's a a big other story. Yeah, we will get there. Yeah. Yeah. It, It became a family venture then. Your grandfather started it and your did your mom and dad both work at the store? Absolutely. Yes. My daddy was six months old when grandfather opened the store. Wow. And so he grew up in the store and he went in the Navy and came back and ran the store all these years. And my mother worked in the store as well. And uh, as a kid, you know, of course, I was then you know, gift wrapping and doing all the little duties around the store. And uh, that was the after school hangout. That's where you went to hang out in the drugstore down the street. You went and got your grilled cheese and your cherry Pepsis and your <laughs> hot fudge sundaes. And uh, right. it was right out of uh, Norman Rockwell. Yeah, right. right. And, and happy days. Happy days. <laughs> happy days. Right. If we could just go back, Andy Griffith, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. So, do you have any siblings? I do not. I had one brother, and he passed away. It's been about twenty years. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you 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 grew up in the store, I grew right? Up in the store. And um, so tell me about what you started doing. I know you had various jobs, and I know it eventually leads to modeling. But what 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 did you start doing at first? Um, I was a buyer from my you know for the store with my mom when I was fourteen years old. We had a junior department, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's what the young girls wear, right. sizes, you know, three to nine, uh, high school age. So what a better, you know, there was no one better than me to go pick out all the junior clothes in Atlanta with my mom at the Mart. And I was in the Mart uh, one afternoon, and somebody saw me, and they said, oh, my God, you're tall and skinny. Could you model for me in the morning? My model's just called in sec. And I'm like, 
oh my God, I'm from Perry. I'm this little girl from Perry and you want me to model in Atlanta in a showroom? Anyway, I was all over it. I was like, I told my mom, she's like, go for it, do it. And uh, that's where it all started. And I loved it. And it was just, I, you know, it was just one of those moments that you're 12 years old, you're in your bedroom reading teen magazine, want to be a model, looking at all the ads, and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. I can't imagine ever being a model. <laughs> and it fell in my lap, and I did it, and uh, a lot of stories from there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So how does that, I mean, were you a normal, not that that's not normal, but like going to school, doing things, you know, having interests and activities. Did you have a normal kid life too, or was it kind of dominated by the store stuff? Uh, well, no, not at all. I was a total kid. You have no idea what a little entrepreneur I was. No, it I, runs I know the, the turtle story. I you know, know the, the turtle story? I know the five-year-old selling turtles, which does raise some questions. I, oh my goodness. How did you find out about the turtle story? I, I, I do research. Look at you. I, I'm impressed. I do. So tell, tell me about selling turtles when you're five years old. Okay. So uh, when I was five years old, well, no, it was uh, boiled peanuts at five. Okay. So at five, my mother would bag up boiled peanuts because I wanted to sell something. Okay. So I sold boiled peanuts door to door. Then I had candy stores and I had a restaurant and a refrigerator box. But well, we most looked, kids would be scared to death to knock on doors selling stuff, right? Not back in happy days and, oh, okay. and Andy Griffin days. I don't mean scared for their safety. Oh. I just mean like being shy or something. You know what? I kind of was a little shy, but I wanted to sell some peanuts and make <laughs> some money because I knew that if I sold stuff, I got money. And with money, I could buy toys and Barbie mm. dolls and bicycles and tricycles. And it was exciting. So, yeah. But I went door to door and, it, you know, all the different businesses. But we lived... In a neighborhood, it had a creek, and the creek would flood every now and then. And they came over and dredged it one time. And when they dredged it, all these turtles showed up out of – they were all over the place, turtles. <laughs> so what do I do? I get refrigerator boxes from the hardware store down the street, and I cut them in half. And those were my cages for all the different size turtles that I collected. Right. And I sold them, small, medium, and large, come get your pet turtle in my backyard. Absolutely. <laughs> So it's been in my blood my entire life to be an entrepreneur. That's hilarious. I figured it out, you know. I went to go on. grab the turtles that anybody yes. could have grabbed. Right. But you did it. Right. Put it in a box, and now you can buy them. <laughs> That's exactly right, Dave. I love that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. That is Building up my piggy bank. That was hilarious. Yes. So, um, so I imagine you went out of business when you ran out of turtles, right? I did. I did. And actually, I had to give a few back to the creek. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go dump them back. My mom was like, okay, we can't keep all these turtles. What are they going to eat? Um, but yeah, it was a lot of different businesses in the backyard and throughout my neighborhood. And back to the original question, yes, I was a very much normal kid. Um, so what I, did you enjoy doing as a kid? As a kid, I... Other than selling everything you could find. Everything I could find. Always getting together groups and making clubs and organizations. So we had different groups in the neighborhood. Um, we didn't really do anything that was all that great. I could say that we donated to our community, but we entertained ourselves. Um, I loved to ride my bicycle. I rode a unicycle. Um, I twirled a baton. I used to love to play basketball. We had a goal in the back of our house. I tried to learn how to ride my unicycle and dribble the basketball and make the goals and play horse with the kid neighborhood's kids right. and, and do good on my unicycle. <laughs> Okay, so I was... That's a lot going on at one time. Yeah, I was uh, pretty wound up, so it, it just never went away. That's where all the energy, it started at a very young age. I was always up to something. There was all, my mother would just roll her eyes, I'd walk in the door. It was like, oh, 
what are you doing now? And my daddy would say, can you just sit down and watch a TV show? Just one TV show. Well, he used to call me the fly. The right. fly. You never light anywhere. You're always moving. Always moving. Always moving. But So did you do well in school or, or did you have a hard time focusing long enough to do that? Well, I uh, no, I did I did good in school. I was in uh, the honor societies and the English club and all the you know, all the clubs. Yeah. Um, I was expected to go to college, so I had to do what I had to do to get my homework done and all of that. But uh, it came fairly easy in Perry. It was when I got to college, it was like, oh, wow, I really have to study. And yeah. I don't know how to study. <laughs> yeah, <it's a laughs> Not little, after coming from small town America. <laughs> right, a little different. All right, so you finish up at high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is the high school in Perry? Taylor County High School. Taylor County High Go School. Go Bulldogs. Bulldogs, sorry. <laughs> so you graduate from Taylor County High School. And did you always know you wanted to go to Florida State, or what was that process? No, I was a majorette all through college. I mean, all through high school, sorry, and junior high. And I loved twirling. I competed in all the state contests, and I twirled four to eight hours every day. I was very disciplined. And honestly, Dave, I look back at my life, and I think about those days of twirling and the discipline that it taught me and the pride in myself to accomplish and be the best that I could be because it boiled down to a score of one, two, three, or four mm-hmm. when you're in front of these judges yeah. as bands compete, you know, from all over, majorettes compete, yeah. one is superior, you know. District and state contests. Absolutely. Yeah. And I took it very serious. I had so much pride. I was so competitive. I've always loved sports. Um, and I was just so competitive. So uh, being the best that I could be in the majorette, te- being a majorette taught me so much um, about discipline and hard work. Right. And, and having, you know, just taking what you do and doing, like I say, the best you can, just like I teach my models and any of my people I lecture to. If somebody asks you to mop the floor, get down on your hands and knees and make sure there's not one speck of dust. Right. Do the best you can do. Okay. So you're thinking about where to go to college and you're a majorette. I am a majorette. Okay. And so uh, you, you know, it was going to be Florida State or Florida. That's where everybody from Perry went. They either went kind of either direction. It, right, exactly. It's one or the other. And so um, the style of twirling for Florida was a lot different than the strict style of the Seminole majorettes. And I really thought I was going to compete and try out for Florida, for a college. And uh, somehow that just went by the wayside <laughs> when I left Perry. And I'm like, whoa, it's time to get out of the house. And I meet all these great people. And I'm like, So you didn't even try out no, at FSU? No, no, no. Just, and so I went on to FSU. That's where most of all my buddies from Perry went was FSU. So yeah. I followed in their footsteps. But you didn't do the band. I did not do the band. No, right. No. Those days were over, and, you know, the reason you're in the band, well, for me, was to be a majorette. You had right. to be in the band to be a majorette. But I, I took piano lessons. I took music my whole life and dance. You know, my mother right. put me in everything you can in a small town or any town. You know, I was doing it all. Right. So I know, because I'm a band person, my wife and I actually met in the Marching Chiefs. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, we did that, yeah. So at least the way it, I assume that to march in the fall meant you had to play an instrument in the spring, right? So did, I did. You play, I'm going to go with clarinet. <laughs> you are good. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding, Dave? That's right. So you majored in communications, right? I did. And uh, why did you choose that major? Did you have a, did you have a plan for that or what, what were you thinking? I'll be honest with you, Dave. I had absolutely no clue what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. No clue. And um, I remember just researching all these different majors and just, and that one just seemed 
it just made sense. It just seemed like fun. You right. know, communications, advertising. And um, so I got my degree in that, and I, you know, I love working people through their problems. They called me Dr. Glick. My main name's Glickman. And right. so in college, everybody called me Dr. Glick because everybody came to my apartment with their problems. <laughs> so I love psychology. It just came natural to me right. to, to work people through their problems. So kind and, of a free counseling service? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I still get called Dr. Glick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so you've had your modeling experience as a as a younger teenager to a trip to Atlanta, right? We were 16 or so? Or? I was 15 when I started modeling in Atlanta. And it was okay. four times a year, four to six times a year that I would go for the special shows. Okay. So you became a model sort of by accident that by accident. first time, mm-hmm. but you got the bug, right? And you started doing it regularly. So how did that lay over with college and finishing school? Were you a part-time model or did you put that aside or how did that work? What happened was at maybe the first or second semester, I met a guy at my apartment complex and we became friends. And one night he came by the apartment. He says, I'm on my way to the modeling agency. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, you know, I model. And I go, for who? I didn't know there was a modeling agency in Tallahassee and it was Eileen Mitchell and she was based out of Valdosta. Actually, she used to work at WCTV some, I believe, Mm -hmm. back in the 50s. But anyway, so he told me about Eileen and I was intrigued because... I just thought that that's what I did a few times a year, and it was that was it. So he introduced me to her. I ended up going in, meeting Eileen, which totally reminded me of Meryl Streep uh, in the movie uh, The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh, my God. She Scared was, to talk or move or do uh, anything? I couldn't breathe. My knees were shaking. <laughs> she looked, she was so regal, and she looked at you like, you know, with a, her eyes, you know, right. pull, pull her glasses down and look over her glasses at you. But she told me to get up and strut. So I strutted plenty in Atlanta, so I strutted, and she says, wow, you're incredible. Would you like to teach? And I was like, oh, my goodness, me, a teacher, a modeling teacher? This is way too cool. So I did, and I ended up teaching for her, and from there, it ended up New York. And those stories now, these these get to the really good stories, Uh, going to New York City with Eileen, but she was one of my greatest mentors. Okay. So... What was the name of her agency? Eileen Mitchells. Eileen Mitchell. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you get connected with her. Right. And you start doing some modeling and teaching, helping other mo- young models. Correct. And you're still in college. If she's serving as your agent at this point, she gets you a job in New York. Is that how it happens? Okay. So she would shop models to the agencies in New York City. Okay. So we would develop them. Same thing I've been doing for years. You know, you find models, you develop them, you teach them, you train them, um, you get pictures taken, you see, you know, as far as how they move in front of a camera. Anyway, you get them and you develop them, then you give them away. Well, you actually kind of sell them. (laughs) You get a little percentage, but it's called a mother agency. Okay. And Eileen was a mother agent to a lot of models, and she would take them in like what I call my boot camps, what I've been doing for 20 years. But back in the 70s and the early 80s, it was just a field trip basically to New York City for four days. And she would take the models. And she was really good friends with Eileen Ford. And as anybody that knows about the industry, Eileen Ford was the biggest, her and Wilhelmina. And Eileen Ford, you know, of course, was a good friend of the Kennedys. And uh, we got to go to a lot of private parties and limos and Studio 54 and Xenon. And okay, we I, have to take a short detour here okay. to tell us a little bit okay. about what that was like. Okay. Yes. You want me to tell yeah, you? Well, yeah. Uh, what was that like? Oh, my God. Are you kidding? So I mean, here, is it like what we think it's like? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And then some. 
And then some. Uh, and it was all true. Right. <laughs> all the stories you heard, they were all true. Because this was the 70s. This was the late 70s, 80, 81, 82, and 83 okay. that I was going with Eileen. So here I am now, 19, 20, 21 years old, and I'm chaperoning the models. Okay, back in that day, Eileen, we would have limos drop us off at the front door of Studio 54 because we had invitations to get in. Right. Now, there's red carpet. There is... Two miles, you know, people in line, been in line for 10 hours, waving $100 bills to walk in the door. We pull up in her limo. We get out. We just walk strut through the doors. And she would just go back to the hotel and expect me to get everybody home at 2 or 3 in the morning. Can you imagine <laughs> taking a bunch yeah. of kids to New York City and doing that these days? No. Oh, not in a million no. years. But anyway, we were all good. It all worked out. But I was the one in charge of getting all the models together at 2 o'clock in the morning to get them back in the limo, back to the hotel. Crazy. All right, so now you're you're going back and forth to New York, and you're fulfilling that role. So where does your – kind of what's happening in your career at this point? You're, you're learning. You're being mentored. Do you have any thoughts of that this is your career, or are you just enjoying the, the time? I'm just enjoying the time because – you know, I talk a lot about self-confidence. And yes, I had self-confidence. Modeling gives you self-confidence, especially when you teach. Just with anything, whether it's baseball or piano, if you teach it, you learn more yourself and the more confident you become. Sure. Uh, when I graduated, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. I had I, I, I didn't know how to do anything still. I have a degree. <laughs> I can twirl a baton. I can strut down a runway. I can ride a unicycle. But I don't think that's going to pay the bills. Right. So I'm dating a guy in Miami, and he went back to Miami, and I thought, huh, where am I going to go? So all of my, a lot of friends, my close friends, were from Tampa. So I moved there. I moved to St. Pete. And I ended up getting a couple of jobs. They all lasted a week. I got every single job I've ever interviewed for. And I'm not bragging. I always say, if you take a modeling class, I promise you can walk in a door and you can get a job. Um, so I got all the jobs, but they were just horrible jobs. They didn't pay <laughs> anything. I'm like, I'm doing marketing research in Sarasota, like 102 degrees. People taking their ice cream out of the grocery store and there's Marsh in the parking lot asking them a, you know, 400 page survey and they're just hating me. Yeah. It was just rejection. So I got up the nerve and I thought, I love the modeling stuff. That's all I know how to do. So I called John Casablancas in Tampa. And they said, okay, come in for an interview. And I went in, got the job. And so I started teaching TV commercials. Well, loved it. And that was good. But the person I was seeing down in Miami, it just, we were back and forth. So I said, I'm moving to Miami. So I moved to Miami and I get a bunch of other jobs. Got all those jobs. A lot of them. I'm talking from right. a dentist office. Okay. Some, I was in there helping the den the orthodontist put braces on someone's teeth. Okay? One week of training. Hello? Why is somebody giving you that kind of job? I have no idea, Dave. It was the <laughs> early 80s, sweetheart. I don't know what to tell you. It was crazy. But, um, so I did that. I worked for a clothing store in Dadeland Mall, and they had like five stores. I did like 10 jobs down there. Right. Then I got the nerve to call a modeling agency. So I called um, uh, John Robert Powers and Coral Gables on Miracle Mile. I came in for the interview. They hired me. So to I was do what? to uh, teach modeling, teach the training, TV commercials, and how to okay. walk the runway, how to audition, and also the telemarketing part of telling everybody to come sign up for the modeling school. Okay. Well, that's what really got me. I realized that they were 
um, I don't want to say ripping people off, but it was false hope. And they were telling them that we saw you at Day Le Mans and you're beautiful and we want you to model for us. Now give us two or $3,000. And it got my wheels turning. I'm down in Miami. I'm hanging out with the crowd, okay? Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Sundays and money trainers every Sunday. On the Miami beach. Vice, right? And I was on Miami Vice. Were you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I got a couple of parts here and there with Don Johnson. I got oh, yeah. one scene. I was um, at the Miracle Theater there when him and Philip Michael Thomas were whatever. Anyway, so yeah, I did some Miami Vice stuff. I had friends that worked on the set. And that was, you know, it was just the heyday of Miami. If you yeah. know anything about Miami, it was 83, 84, 85. It was crazy. And they were filming everywhere. But um, I saw all the money down there and everybody was living the good life. Right. And here I am making what? $12 an hour as a modeling instructor, and I didn't agree with what they were doing. I thought the lady that I worked for when I was in college, Eileen Mitchell, taking me to New York City, I'd already experienced the big stuff, the real, as big as it gets. Right. And I thought, and I called my daddy and I said, I want to I want to I want to call Eileen and see if we can start a franchise. <laughs> see if I can be a little fairy girl and own a franchise. Right. And let me be Eileen Mitchell's franchise. So in Miami. I, and no, 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 no. I knew I couldn't make it in Miami. Oh, okay. with the modeling. So I moved back and and made an agreement with Eileen. That was my first agency. It was called Eileen Mitchell's, but it was a franchise and we had an agreement and it was awesome. But Miami taught me a lot. It taught me what I wanted, which was Lamborghinis and Ferraris and that lifestyle and great restaurants. Um, and it was fast and it was so interesting and right. yeah, loved it. You wanted to bring that energy back to Tallahassee. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously Tallahassee is a little slower paced yeah. than Miami Beach. Yeah, you can say that. So how did that go? How did taking so you didn't take over her agency, you franchised her brand. That's correct. In Perry, in a separate building next to the original our clothing store, <laughs> okay. my mom and dad had an extra building and I made that the modeling agency. So I would drive back and forth because I I love Perry, but I just I couldn't move back to Perry. So So you were recruiting girls from the Perry area? That's or? I had a modeling school down there. I drove okay. down there three days a week and taught classes. Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. How did that go? It went great. Some of the most beautiful girls in the world come from small towns. So, and then I would take those girls and shop them at a big modeling competition in Hilton Head, South Carolina, which Eileen Mitchell had, I had been competing in as a model, as a model, as an instructor, and then the owner of Eileen Mitchell's for, at this point, probably 10 years. Yeah, from the time I was 17 with Eileen till... Uh, I was 26, 27, owning her agency. Yeah, so we competed this big modeling competition, and we would find these great girls in small towns right. and train them. And then at the conventions, the agencies from New York, Paris, Milan, Japan would come, and we'd negotiate. And we would, you know, hey, you want this model? How about this one? And that's how it worked back in that day. Okay. So it's going well in Perry. <laughs> yes. You eventually open up a second location in Tallahassee? Well, her location was still going here, okay. and a friend of mine who took it over and basically bought into it, he was ready to kind of be done with it, so I took it over and bought it out. So I had now two Eileen Mitchells, one in Perry, one in Tallahassee. Okay. And the Tallahassee one was doing well, too? It was doing well, too. They were okay. both doing well. Yes. So are you getting a combination of, of models from the campuses as well as local Talent? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it's such a great influx of students here from all over with the three universities that we have, or well, TCZ and FAMU, right. but 
Um, yeah, so there was a lot of new blood up here, but it was training and teaching and teaching self-confidence and, you know, some etiquette and just things that kids need to know. Yeah. I know from experience there's a difference between doing whatever it is you love to do and running a business doing whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So how did you like that part of it, actually running the business side of things and having to take on those responsibilities as well? I love both of it. Yeah. I, I'm still the same way today. I love running my businesses. I love money. I love figuring out money. I love solving problems. I love marketing. And I love hands-on training people. So, you know, and we'll go into it, I'm sure, as we go on, uh, right. just how the company evolved and grew. But I love all sides of my industry. I was, I've was i been very fortunate. I've lived the dream, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I have lived the dream. All right. So, yeah, next we're going to get into how it became Marsha Doll Models. Mm -hmm. But first, I want to know where the name Doll came from. Okay. So... I moved back from Miami, like 86. I met a guy here and got married in 87. His last name was Dahl. Okay. So I got married to him. and Because Dahl seems like a made-up model know, name. I know. I know. Everybody goes, uh-huh, that's your <laughs> stage name. I go, oh, no, no, no. That's your actual, that was your married name. That was my married name. And I have a daughter. Her last name is Dahl. So, of course, I kept it because I had a very small child when I got divorced and I was like, oh, I am keeping that name. That, that is a is perfect a, name. <laughs> that is a winner. So yeah. it, it worked out perfectly. Yeah. When does your business become Marsha Doll Model? It became Marsha Doll Models in 1990. So I had made an agreement with Eileen. I just, you know, I, I'd gotten married. I wanted to have children and I just, just, it was just too much. Um, and so, and I had my own ideas, but when you have a franchise, you have to play by their rules, basically. And I loved Eileen. I respected her. It was just, it just felt right that it was time to say, I think yeah. we're done here. And then two years later, I came back as Marsha Dahl because I wanted to do it my way. And I wanted to start from scratch. Okay. And I, of course, I had a great name. Come on now. I got Marsha Dahl now. <laughs> Let's go. So there was a, there was a, you left Eileen. There was a time in between. And then you came back as your own. That's correct. Okay. And in between, would you like to know what I did? Yes. You would? Yes. What did you do in between? I'm I, sure it's interesting. Oh, <laughs> I worked for Eastern Airlines. As a flight attendant? No. I worked the gate, I worked the ramp, and I worked the ticket. So when Eastern came back, they went on strike and they came back. So you, got a, you had a microphone in your hand most of the time. I had these. You were on the, uh, you were on the tarmac? <laughs> I know we're doing a podcast here. They can't see my arms waving. Wait, wait, yeah, so she's waving her arms like she's waving a plane in. So <laughs> exactly, that's what you did. Oh, so much fun! Oh my god, <laughs> I would bring the jets in. So you had on like a gray jumpsuit kind yes, of thing. Still and you're waving boots. Yes, <laughs> I was a rock star out there. Okay, so they went on strike, and when they came back off strike, they hired local hire, and I've always wanted to work for the airline. So I thought, okay, so they hired like. 12 people when Eastern came back, and that must have been 1989, 88, 88 or 89. Okay. After they had gone on strike, they kept they hired nine out of the 12 people they hired locally were all cute girls. I'm talking some hot babes on the runway. It was hysterical. <laughs> you would see the pilots pulling in the jets when they first landed the first, you know, first week. And they were of, like, what? They're like <laughs> opening the glass and the, you know, the wind, the windshield, you know, pulling their glasses down. They're like, what? All these girls on the runway right. driving the Kubotas, the, the GPA, you know, hooking up the ground power units. Oh, yeah. We drove all the equipment. It was so much fun. 
<laughs> but I worked a total of nine hours a week so I could get free air travel. Let's just okay. be real here. <laughs> yeah. So I would not have guessed that. I didn't think so. Oh, but that, that does sound like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It was a blast. We had so much fun. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001. Because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Now you're, you're, you're back with Marsha Doll Models. Mm-hmm. And I saw that really what kind of kick-started the big success was someone or several people started calling for promotional models. You did your homework, Dave. You, so you became the supplier of promotional models. So right. first, tell us what a promotional model is. Okay. Have you ever been to a grocery store or an event when somebody can't, walks up to you and says, here's a free t-shirt if you'll give me your email address or yes. if you'll sign up, you know, here's something free. That's yes. what a promotional model does. They don't have to be tall and skinny. They don't have to be gorgeous. They don't have to be any certain type of height or weight. They can be anyone who has a great personality, this professional with a great smile. So I had tons of those because they were not model material that I had trained. And I couldn't take them to New York because, you know, most of them weren't model material. Right. So now I can get you a job doing promotional modeling, which was I mean, I can't. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about this. Continue on. <laughs> Continue the question. I'll keep going because okay. it's it's so great. I mean, this was this was my heyday of my whole business. Yeah, I mean, I I saw that at one point you had forty eight thousand models under your management. Forty eight thousand. I mean, that's forty eight. That's 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 the last count that we had was forty eight thousand. Now, mind you, this was before emails. Mm-hmm. This was before the internet. Me and my husband would fly all over the country. We would set up booths at universities, from University of Southern Cal to uh, South Carolina, Gainesville, Miami, all over the country, all the universities, most all um, Division I uh, schools. Right. Lots of people, and we'd give away free jobs for $15 an hour, sign up here. So they would sign up. We had the Polaroid camera. We would have them, we'd take their picture. It would come out of the camera. We would staple it to their application, get their phone number. Now, they didn't have cell phones. Right. And we had girls in my office in Tallahassee, 1-800 numbers. It was a call room. And there was, you know, 10 girls working all day long booking on the phone, leaving messages. Now, can you imagine what we went through trying to give someone exactly what to bring, what to wear, what time to be there, and the location Yeah. without the technology that we have Normally today. now you just send an email right. and takes care Boom. of or a text. Well, that's why I'm not in business anymore. <laughs> that's exactly why, okay. you know, I had the heyday because we were actually blood, sweat, and tears. We were out there working, and then we eventually the internet came around, and then it grew and grew and grew because we already had done our grassroots. We had mm-hmm. already done, you know, we had hit the ground running, um, and it started – from a marketing company for a bank in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they were doing all the football stadiums around the country, the big stadiums. And they called me back when they called. Right. No emails. They called and they said, we need like 75 to 100 kids at Florida State University this coming Saturday. Could you do it? 
I'm like, oh my God, of course I could do it. And so I rounded up all my people and we had a meeting. I think they flew in Thursday and all of my people showed up on Saturday at Dope Campbell Stadium there at Florida State. And they were so impressed because my people had been trained to be professional and to right. have some class and good, you know, body language and facial expression and how to shake hands with people. And anyway, so they were so impressed that my people showed up. Right. And so as you know, the weeks went on, it was probably into October, first of November, my first season, they said, You are our number one school. You're amazing. Could you do this anywhere else? And I'm like, Oh, my wheels are turning. <laughs> yeah. And I know how much money I'm making. Right. So, you know, you're making thousands of dollars an hour because you're making a percentage of what 100 people are making per hour. Right. And it was good. Yeah. I don't want to say any numbers, but it was really good. Yeah, it was worth it. It was so worth it. And then you do those numbers and multiply it, say, times 10 stadiums. Wow. That's right. a good Saturday. Yeah. So I was like... Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. We can do, and I'm thinking, oh, real quick, Gainesville, I can do Miami, I can do um, South Carolina. My husband's from South Carolina. I'm right. like, we can do Columbia, South Carolina. And we, I swear, day and four days, we rounded up hundreds. We would stop at 7-Eleven, you know, Food Marts, Waffle House, Hooters. <laughs> I don't care where. We were dragging people out. Oh, come work for Marcia Doll Models. And it worked. Right. It worked. So, you know, how many stadiums later and 48,000 people and then it just marketing companies from L.A. to New York. And they were really huge, huge companies. Right. So we worked it out, the system, the business of it and how to, um, you know, work with other clients from Pantene Shampoo to all the Procter & Gamble products to name it, Victoria's Secret. We've done it. You, I, I can't believe begin to tell you the tours that we've done across this country. Yeah. Every stadium, that sounds really every fun. town, every yeah. 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 It was it was a heyday. Yeah. Yeah. A lot right. of fun. So did building your name doing that, did that help attract the runway and TV and print models and kind of the other side of the modeling agency? You know, it just kind of intertwined. It just all intertwined. I uh, was doing all of that, and we had the division called promogirl.com, which was the division of the mother agency, Marshall Models. Mm -hmm. We were doing both. Um, but I've always been that kind of business person that you don't put all your eggs in one basket, just like finances with right. your money. Don't put it all in one place. Because you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, we can relate to that today. For sure. I yeah. mean, you would have never dreamed us. So with that being said, I was always thinking of different ways to make money instead of what if this client drops us or something happens. And, uh, you know, just being able to pivot, as they say, what a perfect industry I'm in to say the word pivot. If anybody <laughs> knows how to pivot, it would be me. Um, but yeah, it all intertwined and I would find models while I was looking for promo girls, vice versa. You know, it just all worked hand in hand. Right. Okay. So in 1997, you write a book. I did. Right. Called Modeling Totally Exposed. That's right. Okay. Yes. Um, what was that book about and why did you write a book? I wrote that book because I was frustrated with the scams and the ripoffs and all the people that would come to town and say, oh, come to our model search. And they would charge them so much money for all these modeling schools and make promises that they would never keep. And I didn't like that. I, I, did, I didn't, you know, it, it really rubbed me the wrong right way. And I thought, how can I get the word out there? And I thought, hmm, well, I can go on a speaking tour. I can get my book. And I remember calling Anna Johnson from WCTV. I was so nervous, okay, <laughs> so nervous to call her. 
And she is the most unintimidating person in the world. Oh, she ended up being But she was ba- famous. She but. was famous for right. us back yeah. then, oh, you know. Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, this is a woman, you know, on, te- on television for 30-something yeah. years. And she ended up being my best friend. We're still the best of friends. And yeah. I mean the best of friends. Right. But anyway, so I call her. I'm so intimidated. I tell her about my little book now. Dave, mind you, my book, when it first came out, the first copy was literally a high school senior report. <laughs> okay, I had that little plastic stuff you get at the dime it. store or the Walgreens or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I had somebody do the artwork on it, like literally hand draw it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it did turn into a book, and I got my ISBN number, so I was a real author now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it was all you just constantly hyping up what you're doing and promoting and. All these ideas of mine from, you know, and I went on Anna's show. I was so nervous. Oh, my God. I couldn't even breathe. And when we got But she was the Oprah of Tallahassee at the time, right? She was the Oprah of Tallahassee. And I got up, leaving, you know, where we had filmed the show. And she says, you just have such great posture. Will you teach me how to strut down the runway and help (laughs) me with my posture? And I'm like... Of course I can. I've already been to New York, been around Eileen Ford and Wilhelmina, but I'm intimidated because I'm now Marsha Dahl with a book. Right. (laughs) Like, really? Like, what do you know about a book and writing a book? Right. Anyway, so I taught her and and that was it. We became best of friends. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. In the early 2000s, I guess around 2002, you created uh, NYC Model Actor Boot Camp. That's correct. Right. So yes. uh, that was based on what you were doing earlier for Eileen, or mm-hmm. tell me what that was about. Well, I basically basically emulated what she had done uh, that I had experienced while I was in college and her new she didn't call it boot camp, but I tweaked it to be it's a lot alike, but very different in many ways. Um, so we would see all the agencies at my boot camp. We would see the agencies, but I would have them stay in a hotel and I entertain them around the clock. Like, literally around the clock. Uh, Eileen used to take us to Broadway shows. Um, she used to take us in the limos. But then I started going to, like, Danielle Belouz. And if anybody doesn't know who Danielle is, he's one of the most famous chefs in the entire world. He's fabulous. I became really great friends with Danielle. And I entertained at his restaurant. But the camp started out, New York City boot camp. And I tweaked it the first year. I had the idea. Well, actually, I moved there when my son was five years old. We have three daughters and a son. Okay. My th- Three older daughters were ages probably 12, 9, 8, and little Dean was 4 or 5. And a lady at the modeling convention that my family had to go to because I was competing with my models in this convention, this woman saw little Dean, my son, and said, oh, my God, I have to have him in New York. And this woman was Shirley Grant. I just found out she passed away last night, and she. Hmm. I was watching The Voice last night, and and Nick Jonas is one of the judges. Right. Shirley founded the Jonas Brothers. Oh. And I looked up Shirley. I haven't talked to her in about a year and a half. She had to have been ninety eight years old. I talked to her before the virus, and I found out she passed away last night. I was just oh. devastated. But anyway, yeah. she's the one that wanted. My son in New York, and I'm like, and she wanted one of our daughters, who's now a lawyer. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> anyway, so we went to New York and rented an apartment one summer, and that summer is when I said, you know what? I'm going to do my own camps up here. If I'm going to be up here every year with my son in the acting and modeling world, I'm going to do a boot camp. And that's how it evolved. The New York City boot camp was my own children being in the industry in New York Okay. every summer. So you would bring models up from Tallahassee or from all over, or how did that work? They came from all over, literally the world, because I became 
a judge for modeling competitions all over the world. So now, like I said, pivot, I'm all over the place. I'm writing books. I'm doing local training. I've got promo girl. I'm judging all over the world for these big modeling competitions. I'm not taking models to competitions anymore. I'm judging them. Okay. And there's thousands to choose from. And I can only take 30 or 40 people a year to New York. So I had the cream of the crop. The best of the best, I right? did. I did. It was great. That, that must have been fun, too, because I know or it seems like you really enjoy the teaching part, the, you know, passing and enjoying the success of the people that you're helping. So that must have been a lot of fun to get really the best of the best and have them come and experience that with you. Oh, unbelievable. And you just see their eyes light up or the ages when I'd bring in somebody that they wanted. Oh, you know, that was a buzz. You know, you'd see your girls on the, on the, um, up in the lights in Times Square. I'd go to Times Square. Sometimes I'd have three people up in Times Square that are my people. Right. I found them. Right. You know, it's amazing. I mean, it's a buzz. It's a high. Right. And this was also, I think, the height of the supermodel era. It right? was. Yes. Because now if for younger people, I mean, models are still models, but now actors are models, musicians are models. But back in the day, models were models and there was no higher form of celebrity than being a supermodel. That's exactly. Cindy Crawford, you go to Nikki Taylor, Christy Brinkley. Have you seen her lately? Wow. <laughs> she still looks amazing. She's yeah. like 65. But yes, it was a thing. So you've mentioned your husband, Dean, a couple times. Mm-hmm. Tell me about him, how you met, and uh, you know what he means to you. Wow. We were talking about this last night. As I was telling you earlier, Shirley Grant passed away. I found out last night. He walked into the bedroom last night, and I said, oh, my God, I'm so sad. Shirley Grant passed away. And he's like, oh, no. I looked at him, and I said, can you believe all the years we've been together and, and, and how our paths crossed? Okay, let me tell you the story. I met Dean. Do we remember the little rock and roll place here called the cab stand? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, and I call him Big Dean. I have a son named Little Dean, and, right. and we do call him Little Dean and Big Dean. He owns sunglass stores. He had like 28 sunglass stores all over the southeast, Atlanta, up to Maryland and, and Delaware. And met him there, and he's talking to me, and I don't know. He said I gave him my phone number. I didn't give him my phone number. He's full of it. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was with a girlfriend, and I t- talked to him for a few minutes and just walked off. But he called the modeling agency. He knew I'm the modeling agency and asked me to dinner, and I blew him off for like months and months and months. He called like five times. And finally, I just said, I'm going to dinner with this guy. I, I told my roommate, Selena, I just got divorced. And I told my roommate, Selena, I said, I'm just going to go to dinner with this guy. And ended up, he was charming, and he was fabulous, and I just could have so overlooked him, and he ended up being so great. But the crazy thing is, he owns sunglass stores. Back in the Eileen Mitchell days, now let's go back to when I was teaching for Eileen and went to this modeling competition in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Right. It was started by a man named Jack Rasnick, who started with the Wilhelmina and her husband, Bruce, um, oh gosh, Bruce. Anyway, so they started the convention. My husband modeled for the company that we tried to beat out every year, our nemesis. (laughs) Like the agency that we had to win agency of the year, and it was Millie Lewis. She had the modeling agencies in the Carolinas. We were up against her, Eileen and Millie, Eileen and Millie. He was the first overall male model winner of that year, of the first models of the South, which I was still like in the ninth grade. So I, you know, he's like eight and a half years older than I am. So, I mean, can you, how crazy is that? (laughs) That is crazy. So he was in the modeling industry. Yeah. 
but he had sunglass stores. Bizarre. And so he knew all these people, like all these people that I'm in New York with and talking about right. and, and dealing with. I mean, he knew them all. And you didn't know that till you had dinner and talked and you're but, like, and I th- can't believe this, that we were in the same world together? He didn't tell me for months. Oh, really? Oh, uh, he loves to brag about that. <laughs> yes, he played it cool. So he knew, because yes. you told him about you. Of course. But he kept that close to the vest. Yes, yeah. Just to mess with you. I guess. <laughs> uh, to be cool. So he was so charming, you know. That's he, funny. He was better left found out, as he says, yeah. and, and then bragging mystery. about it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and how many children do you have together? Okay. So when I married him, he had a six-year-old daughter, a three-year-old daughter, and I had a three-year-old daughter. Right. And then we had baby Dean together. Gotcha. <laughs> Little okay. Dean. So, yeah. So and, and he actually had an older son, which I claim him, of course, but he was a grown man when I married his dad. <laughs> you know, he was like 26 years old. Right. But uh, So, so he, a true blended family. A true one blended. One from each side and the earth. Children from each side and then one together. Yes. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And it was our blended family has just been incredible. They love each other. That's They're great. best friends. And, and that's been a blessing. Switching gears here to something a little more serious. You're a two-time breast cancer survivor. I am. First, congratulations. <laughs> Thank on you. That. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still that's, here. That's pretty amazing. So <laughs> tell me about those journeys and and that had to be a tough part of your life. It was. It was tough. Um 2007 was the first one. I found it myself. Went to the doctor. He says, "Ah, you're fine." Watched it for a year. I actually forgot about it. Went back the next year. And he said, you know, I think you're fine. I said, no, let's let's get it out. And it was cancer. So that was 2007. My company, Promo Girl, the promotional staffing company, had been literally kicking butt for so many years. And I'm a control freak. I was all over everything 24-7. And it happened, if you remember what happened in 2007, mm-hmm. the economy crashed. Right. I thought, what a perfect time to have cancer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my God, if I got to do this, I am just going to lay in that bed and go through chemo and get through this right. and, and forget the company. So it was perfect time. I tried to find the, the good yeah, so- and, you know, I tried to find the sunshine. But um, uh, 2007, it was uh, Labor Day weekend, found out I had cancer, got through it, mastectomy, uh, survived. And then April, just what, six months later, got it again. And the mm. other breast. And it was a totally different type of cancer, non-related. So I want everybody to listen to this. Non-related, I was tested for the BRCA gene, do not have it. So it was not hereditary, although my mother had breast cancer twice. Mm. She didn't die from it. But mine was not hereditary. My, and mine was too tough. And, and how does two cancers show up within six months of each other right. that have nothing to do with each other? If That's what the crazy part. And just in that short time, Dave... It had spread. So the second time, I had to go through chemo because it had spread to my lymph nodes. Wow. So that was like, oh, That's my. a whole other thing. Oh, right? my God. That's a whole other thing. Mm. You lose your hair. I was, you know, very sick from all the medications. And I had a uh, – it was uh, just a, kind of a rare one where they had just come up with a new uh, drug, Herceptin, for the type of cancer. So my treatment lasted a year. Most chemo is three yeah. months, whatever. Mine lasted a year. But, of course, Marcia Dahl's there in the chemo room with my little pole and my chemo <laughs> teaching this 80-year-old man how to walk the runway. <laughs> you know, he's got six months to live, and but by, he wants but to learn how to – He wants to look good those last six months. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I try to find the glory in it all. And it was uh, it was quite a journey. And like I said, it was when the economy tanked. 
which was good for me. Yeah. Because I was able to walk away from the business and just let it dribble on because it was still in business, but yeah. um, it wasn't anything like it had been. Right. And uh, a lot of things happened during that time that, you know, anytime you have a life threatening illness, um, you're going to look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. I've always been very appreciative. My mother taught me that. My mother had a brain tumor. She had the breast cancer. And she was just so grateful for just the sun shining or the birds chirping or just the rain falling. And learning that at a small age, I always thought about my mom. And I lost her before I had cancer. I lost her before when I was pregnant with my second child, little Mm -hmm. Dean. And it was hard going through it without your family, you know, your mom especially. So, um, but here I am. I'm still here. How many years later? 11, 12. I'm kicking and screaming and... Still carrying all day. Oh, you know, I got a nice little uh, plastic surgery. You know, they're nice and perky, of course. You know, that's the, that's the one of the perks of getting breast cancer. So, uh, like I said, I try to find the humor in it. And people go, oh, that hairstyle of yours, Marsha. People in New York are like, oh, my God. Who is that woman? Who is that ha- that hair? Well, this came from chemo. So I lost all my hair. And when it came back, we were plugging in, you know, little hair pieces here and there. And uh, it ended up with this look, and everybody went nuts over it. So I said, well, I'm going to keep it. Well, it, it is definitely <laughs> iconic. So, yeah, well, it looks great. I want to get into now kind of what you have going on now, which is always – seems like it's always something new and exciting and challenging. You have been on the – TLC show called Welcome to Plathville. Right. And um, I was actually, my wife and I were watching it because as I talked to you earlier, um, you know, well, we were interested because we knew they were from Cairo and that they came to Tallahassee a lot. And we were like, oh, I bet we'll know some of the people. And we actually did. And then we're watching one night and I'm like, hey, that's Marsha Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. There Again. she is. Well, actually, I, I kind of knew because when they were talking about modeling, I'm like, I know Marsha's got to be in this. I mean, who in the world else would they be talking to? You know, you you play a pretty significant role in those episodes. You know, one of the one of the kids in the part of the family wants to pursue modeling. Micah. Hi, Micah. So he comes to you and um, he gets involved in kind of a steamy photo shoot there. Uh, yeah, I didn't have anything to do with that. Listeners, listen to me. I did not have anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> so tell me about that experience. What was it? How did you get involved and what was that like? Well, literally, they just called. And nobody answers the phone anymore. I just happened to be standing by the phone, and I never answered the office phone, and I picked right. it up. Not that it mattered. They would have found me. Right. But um, I answered the phone. It was TLC, and they said, we've got this little country family down the street in Cairo, and uh, the guy wants to be a model. Can we set up an inter-? And I, you know, I have had so many people on reality shows. I have been shopped. I have filmed. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have filmed in New York City, L.A., all over for my own reality show through the years. So I'm very right. familiar with reality shows. So I'm like, yeah, great. You know, I mean, exposure for me, it's all about, you know, I don't care about being famous. Everybody recognizes me everywhere. I could care less. It's business, making money and it's business, right? right? Well, she tells me got this country family and the cute boy and all of that. So can we meet with them? And it was literally like tomorrow. Mm. That wasn't like, we're going to do this in a week or two. It's like right now. <laughs> right. So anyway, I met with Micah, and Olivia, the sister-in-law, came in that's married to his brother, Ethan, and then his little sister, Mariah. So the three of them came in. I uh, interviewed all three of them, actually. They were all interested in modeling. And, you know, that aired. Um, I did—we hired Olivia for a wedding shoot, which we shot that for Vosels. They didn't air that. We did Micah for— 
um, Kelly Osley's boutique, her Rebels boutique there mm -hmm. at Bed Place. Plug Kelly there. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so we did a shoot, and I had probably six models on set. And so they filmed that of him actually doing a job that he was hired to do. And we filmed that. And then I became really close with the kids. And January of 2019, now I had already filmed and it had already aired. So my two episodes of Welcome to Platteville TLC aired in November, December of 2019. Pandemic hit March 2020. Mm. January 28th, I'm in New York City signing a contract and filming for the Marsha Dahl Show. Right. <laughs> and then that stops. <laughs> if you can't see me, viewers, I know we're doing a podcast here. I'm still crying. You're still crying. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I signed a contract with me and my assistant, Catherine, to have the Marsha Dahl Show. So pandemic hit, and uh, I'm sitting here with you, Dave, <laughs> in Tallahassee, Come on. Florida. This is a very close second option of here for you. Of course it is. Just we almost as good. We love being here with you, but anyway, so. <laughs> so is there is there plans to to get the show back back on track? It's, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, the vibe of everything that I do is so city-fied. Mm. It's New York, L.A. That's the entertainment. People want to watch that. I can't see me teaching modeling in the parking lot at Governor Square Mall. I don't know. You know, I just, Not quite the I don't same. think anybody's going to want to come to my boot camp to come to Tallahassee. These are my last, well, actually, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Sure. I'll put it back if we do it, but just wanted to get from a personal side, like what, what do you and Dean enjoy doing when you're not doing modeling? You know, you've had to deal with COVID, and so how are, how are you guys entertaining yourselves? What, what do you enjoy doing? We love to eat, drink, and travel. So obviously, we can't travel so much now, so that's not any fun, so we Eat. We still eat. We got a, a, a good old Drew. You had him on the show up at Saver. <laughs> right. We're always at Saver. I have a condo over in Panama City. Um, we do that. We, you know, travel. We love cruise. We're booking a cruise right now. I'm going to book it this week. I'm going to get the guts to go ahead and do it. I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah. But South America. Now, if you did your real research about the two of us, he's a very romantic guy. And he's asked me to marry him. I've married him six times. And people are always like, Oh my God, y'all just got married for the what? The fourth time? Like we fight and break up? We've never fought. We don't break up. He's just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He just likes to marry me. He's just very romantic. So we've been married all over the world. So we've been married in Greece. We've been no, married. What do you mean you've been married? Like literal a wedding, literally a wedding ceremony? We put it on like a fashion show, Dave. Now, come on, get with the program here. So, and it's last minute, like all my fashion shows and everything else that I do. So right. we, uh, we get to a country or wherever we're going, Greece, Italy, Hawaii. We got married in a, a glacier and, um, Alaska, we got married in Cuba, was our last wedding before the pandemic. And the next wedding was going to be in South America, in Rio. So we've decided to go ahead and book it. So um, you dress up? We dress up, and we just, I take one dress. I don't fret about it. I just go grab some dress off the racket dealers. It's off-white or whatever. And right. uh, we just hire people. We hire a little gondolier guy in Italy, <laughs> our girl up in the glacier, little park ranger girl. I mean, we just find people. You should hear him tell these stories. Now, Dave, now that's good. That's and somebody's good reading the vows, you repeat them, yeah, you go no, through the whole thing. Oh, yeah. We use our original vows, vows, and he had, like, when we went to Italy, he had them translated to Italian. So our gondolier, anybody we Man. handed them to. Major I, props to Dean. That is romantic, no, I have you, to say. 
you know, if you just look at our pictures, we got some great pictures. But anyway, yeah, so he's quite creative. And uh, I mean, I climbed in a tree. Where was it? In Venice and Italy um, and a tree to get my flowers out of a tree. I said, put me on your shoulders. I can get my bouquet from that tree. It's got flowers on it. All the floors were closed. It was like, I guess, a Sunday. And all the floors were closed. So I climbed in a tree and got my flowers. Yeah, we just make it work. So how many times have you been married? Six. Six times. Mm-hmm. Six times. So we're about to get married twice because we had COVID and we missed this year. Right. So we're going to go to Rio and um, uh, Buenos Aires. So we'll get married those two places in South America, February 2022, which is only, what, 11 months? Well, good. We have two more questions for you. Yeah. We're done. One is looking back, what would you say is the one thing or person that really changed the trajectory of your life to this point? That would be my husband because of the life that I'm living with all our children and my wonderful world. But in my business world, it would be a man named Jack Rasnick who owned the models of the South Modeling Competition. He kept me on my toes. Always bring the models, bring the models, bring a bunch of them, bring 20, bring 40. Come on, you got the numbers. Bring th-. And we're always trying to beat the other agencies. So, right. you know, if if I had not – no, I'm sorry. You asked the question one person. No, you can, There's three. Eileen, okay. Jack, and my husband. Okay. And my mom and dad, of course. <laughs> Okay, everybody, all my kids. Now, is your dad still with us? No, oh. he's not. We lost daddy about eight years ago. Oh, yeah. Sorry. yeah. No, I know. It's so weird. It's like, oh, it's just sad. I'm an orphan, you know, when you get to be our age. It's, well, yeah. I don't want to say our age. You're like young. <laughs> you're like a spring chicken over there, Dave. Yeah, I'm super young. Yeah, you are. Um. <laughs> they definitely changed my life. The modeling world that I didn't take so serious. I mean, I took it serious. It was fun and I loved it, but I had no idea that I would make my living and the type of lifestyle that I've had doing something like modeling. Right. When I really wasn't that beautiful and tall and skinny enough to make a, you know, to be a model, to be a real model. I was kind of a pretend model. Right. You know, I wasn't Cindy Crawford. (laughs) Nowhere close. (laughs) So you're saying you're somewhere between a supermodel and a promotional model. That's exactly right. You learned something, Dave. (laughs) Yay. I've been paying attention. Bravo. You <laughs> learned. I love it. Okay. I'm doing my job here. There you go. Um, <laughs> all right. So final question. So Marsha, this podcast is named How I Got Here. Okay. And we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Mm-hmm. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now? Traveling like I've always done when COVID, you know, we'll get over COVID and, and get rid of this virus and get this over with and behind us. Um, we always have traveled. That's just really our thing. We love to travel. We love cruising, too. I don't know if you know anything about people that cruise and travel. I mean, once you're a cruiser, these people take it serious. I mean, they live on cruise ships. I mean, I don't think I'm going to live on a cruise ship, but might not be bad. But, you know, cruising, eating and drinking, and uh, maybe enjoying some little grandchildren, maybe. Yeah? Yeah. I've got three daughters, and they're all married. The third one just got married on Halloween. Right. So, and only one left, and that's little Dean, who uh, is 25, so he's not married. But maybe some grandchildren. Yeah, what do you think? You think I'd pick a great, good grandma? I think you would be the grandma that everybody wants to go visit. You think? I think. All right, well, I'm going to look forward to that. That's what I'm going to be when I grow up, as a grandma. <laughs> who knew? <laughs> that was Marsha Dahl. If you happen to run into Marsha somewhere in Tallahassee or Perry and think your strut could use a little work, I'm sure she would be happy to give you some pointers. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.